And in what James was sharing, this, this notion that um, in Jesus there's something that satisfies you know, to do the will of the Father, to receive the living water, and that yeah, there are there is a there is a battle to feast from that table. You know, and I feel like um, I feel like Jesus wants um, you know, wants I, I feel like there's kind of this um this place of hedging our bets or um, maybe like um, one foot in the door, one out, or maybe like kind of like drawing from two different wells or eating from two different tables, you know, kind of whatever picture that, that fits for you, like kind of going like, yeah, I want Jesus and this. I don't, I don't want to like turn away from Jesus. I don't want to reject Jesus. I it's not like I don't want him, but I want this other table too. Do you know what I mean? And it, it's, I feel like, I feel like that's the passage too that Curtis read. Here I am, I'm making a way, I'm offering a, 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 a new thing. There is a life in me that's possible, that's springing up, that's available. Yet, you refuse to step in. You know, and I feel like the thing that Jesus has in this season is not for those who hedge their bets, isn't for those who have a foot in and a foot out, isn't for a space where we're feasting from two tables, isn't from a place where we're drawing from two wells. Do you know, do you know what I mean? It's not like, well, maybe he'll satisfy, but at least I have some satisfaction in this lifestyle, in these things, in this space. And that's different for each of us. It's, it's a different thing. But it's like, well, where, where am I like, yes, and? Yes, I will. And then maybe sometimes I won't, but I don't want to not will, you know? We're half-hearted in it. I feel like there's something. He, he wants our, our whole being to go. The one table I feast from is the bread and the cup of your presence, communion with you. And I think like we've been sold a picture of a life in Christ that doesn't require that, but I think we have to say that is the only life you find from Christ. You know what I mean? It's an all or nothing deal. It just flies. You know what I mean? This is, this anyway. Yeah. And so, I mean, last week we were talking about, yeah, so, so let's bear that in mind. Let's like, let's like allow ourselves to be filtered this morning to go like, you know, is my yes, I will like, uh, oh, but. You know, but still this. You know, yes, I will, but, you know, I'm not like one of those, like, extreme people. Like, you know, like, that's for, like, you know, people who want to change the whole world. Not for people who just want Jesus. You know, it's like, can we, like, rewrite those lines and go, you are either in Christ or not. Like you can't be like half in, half out. If that's where we are, we're just out. Can, can we just say that? Could we agree with that today? If you're half in, you just aren't in. You just, there is no half in Christ. That's fake. 
That's a deception. That's how Matthew chapter 6, the light I think I have is actually darkness. Guys, I got that verse here. Let's read just for a sec. The eye is the lamp of the body. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is clear, spiritually perception perceptive, your whole body will be full of light, benefiting from God's precepts. But if your eye is bad, spiritually blind, your whole body will be full of darkness, devoid of God's precepts. So if the very light inside your inner self, your heart, your conscience is darkness, how great and terrible that darkness is. No one can serve two masters. For he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one. Did I skip a bit there? No, just in my own mind. Or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and mammon, money, possessions, fame, status, or whatever is valued more than God's. You cannot be half-hearted. If the light I think I have is actually darkness, that's the deepest darkness. That's the, oh yeah, I got Jesus. That's, that's not it. You know, and, and I don't want to be extreme and I don't, I don't, you know, but I think we do a disservice when we go, yeah, we can kind of like live for this thing. No. You have either been caught and captivated by the love of Christ and it is the driving force of our life or we haven't got them yet. Do you know what I mean? Is, can we say that's true? Do you think that's possible? It's like there is no halfway with this. And you know, last week we were talking about this idea of, um, of fighting to fight, fighting to fight that, you know, I think if we don't learn to fight a spiritual fight, we're not going to make it. That's basically what we were talking about. You know, that there is a spiritual reality, that we are caught in a physical realm, that we're amphibians, we're both physical beings and spiritual beings. And then if we, if we don't begin to open our spirit-filled eyes and see what's taking place in the spiritual realm, we will not make it. You know, we won't, we, 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 we must be, take up our spiritual self and, and see and, and allow ourselves to imagine what's coming against us or coming at our life isn't just emotional. It isn't just relational. It isn't just physical. It isn't just sickness. It, it, it is. Don't, don't we know? Remember, we said we're not going to get extreme and become, you know, uh, everything is spiritual, but we're going to be people who see the things that are spiritually coming for us. And, and it's a fight. And I said, What are you fighting for? I opened with that. What are you fighting for? Yeah, I, w- I want to return to that because I think, I think it's it's an important idea. You know, like I, I was watching um, in a thing that uh, I was doing this week. I was seeing a, a clip of Braveheart. And you know that scene in in Braveheart where you know, William Wallace, all the all the Scottish army is all gathered. They're all painted up, and they're all you know, and the, and the English are starting to march in. You know, with all the. Oh, how many of them are there? Is there a lot? Oh, it was hundreds of horses. Oh, it was a big army. It was huge. Oh my goodness, maybe we shouldn't be here. Maybe, what do you think? Should we go home? I don't think we're going to win this. They're talking amongst themselves. And in fact, at one point in time, one of them, you know, one of the guys turns around, starts to walk back through the crowd and they start to go, you know, and the leader of the Scottish army comes out, stop, don't go anywhere. You know, and at this point in time, Wallace and his men kind of start making their way through the army on their horses and they make their way to the front. And he says, men of Scotland. That's <laughs> this big speech, you know. 
This is his big speech. He does not come before these men to incite courage and passion within them by talking about the enemy. He doesn't come before the men to say, oh, we hate the English. No, he, he comes before them to remind them of what they're fighting for. He reminds them of their families, of their children, of their wives at home. He reminds them of the call to freedom. And he said, they can take our lives, but they cannot take our freedom. You know, right? He reminded them of what they were fighting for and it incited passion amongst them to risk their lives for something. And if we don't know what we're fighting for, we will turn from the battle. We'll refuse Christ. We won't stand in the moment we need to stand. And you know what we talked so briefly about is this idea that, you know, we're, we are ultimately, ultimately the purpose of the kingdom of God is that we would be a people, that there would be a love for God and a love for one another that comes from him. You know, he said, these are the two greatest commandments. These are the two greatest commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. The whole of the law can be summarized in these two statements. You know, maybe it doesn't seem enough to us. Maybe it doesn't seem valuable enough. Maybe it doesn't seem grand enough. Maybe it doesn't seem significant enough that the whole of the battle would be about a life of love one where I am united with Christ. I know his love and I love him. And from that's flowing a love for those that God has put my life in touch with as not from me, but is beyond me. What if that is the greatest thing, just that we would live in the reality of love for which we were made? What if that, what if that is what the enemy is coming against? What if that's what he's trying to steal and what he's trying to thwart? You know, it's like this is the freedom for which we were made, that we could live a life of love that that would exist. And every work of the enemy is to separate us from a union with God that sees our life encapsulated in the love of Christ. And love is a passionate, powerful, purposeful thing. We're not talking about something weak. We're not talking about something insignificant. We're not talking about something that doesn't have purpose or power to accomplish. We're talking about the mouse. You know, we, we, we've got to shed an anemic picture of love if it's going to be the thing we're going to fight to protect and the fight we're going to, thing we're going to fight to hold on to. And it's like, Within this story comes this place that says, nothing will separate me from the love of God. Well, why were those the words of Paul in Romans? I am convinced of this, that neither height nor depth nor angel nor demon nor nothing of this world or the principalities can separate you from the love of Christ. Well, he said it because that's what the, that's what the war is against, that your life would be separated from the love of Christ. That's it. And so what if we become a people who are wholeheartedly committing our lives to the fight for union with his love? And anything which comes in the way of that is on notice. Not because we are trying to root out every addiction, every false source of joy, every place of destruction, every habit that detracts, every, everything which separates me from being present, everything which robs my life. No, no, it's not about the thing we're trying to, to stand against. It's about a passion for the love of God to be the realest, truest source of all things in our life. It's about fighting for something, 
fixing our eyes on something worth fighting for and not forgetting why it is I'm refusing, why it is I'm intolerant, why it is I'm not taking that. That's not who we are. That's not what I stand for. That's not what I live for, whatever that might be. A story that says your life should count for more. You should do more. You should be about the world. You should have more money. You should accomplish more. Look at the powerless, purposeless life. I'm not having that. The love of Christ is here and there's nothing else for me. If the love of Christ and my union with him is alive and real and powerful and true, I am what I am made to be and I am where I'm made to be. You know, whatever it is that comes for us, hey, let's get distracted. Let's, oh, it's too hard. Let's just check out. Let's turn to this or turn to that. No, I'm refusing that because I don't want anything to separate my life from the love of Christ. That is my safe place. That is my place of purpose. That is the place of power. That is where the work of God will be accomplished. That is what I'm waiting for. That is what I'm longing for. We need a, we need a revelation of the love of God, which capsulates our life and goes, I will fight against anything which seeks to take this from me. Not because I'm focused on overcoming something, but because I'm focused on, on protecting something. I'm fighting for the love of God and my union with him to be my sole thing. Do you know what I mean? Can we give ourselves permission to fight for that? I mean, I think, I think maybe we need that to become something valuable to us. And I think this is where this half-hearted bit sort of falls in. Because a half-hearted, halfway in, halfway out we don't stand a chance of holding on to it because in that place, the love of God has not captivated us. I need a revelation of God's love. Yeah. So I think the call of this, of this truth or this idea is that our lives would become fixed on being habitually focused on the Spirit of God. You know, Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 to 18 says, But I say, walk habitually in the Holy Spirit. Seek him and be responsive to his guidance. Now just stop, just pausing that little bit for a minute. And just let it filter the last seven days. Just let that, just let that filter. Let that be a filter over your last week. Just go, okay, 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 I'm going to get filtered here. Walk habitually in the Holy Spirit, seek him and be responsive to his guidance. Scale of one to 10. How am I tracking in the last week in that front? Not, there's no shame message in this. It's just that we would be revealed to ourself because we hear these things and they just kind of roll off our back, you know? Oh yeah, that's an yeah, habitually in the Holy Spirit. Amen, amen. Okay, but let's think about it. Let this meet our week, our last seven days. Do you know, if this is handing us the weapons for the fight, if this is handing us the truth that we need, where am I at there? But I say, walk habitually in the Holy Spirit, seek him and be responsive to his guidance, and then you will certainly not carry out the desire of the sinful nature. Well, that's the key. Walk habitually in his spirit, Sinful nature loses its place. 
this is the key to winning the battle. This is the key to staying on track. This is the key to being, it's like, okay, I'm so fixed on this thing. I'm not focused on the enemy. I'm not focused on sinful nature. I'm not focused on what I'm trying to overcome. I'm not focused on the thing which I'm waiting to see change. I'm not focused on the depression that hassles me or the anxiety that troubles me or the financial issue which plagues me or the relational issues which hassle me. I'm habitually focused on the spirit of God. And through all of that, the rest of it gains its place or loses it. Certainly not carry out the desire of the sinful nature, which responds impulsively without regard for God and his precepts. I mean, can we relate to that? A part of us that is responding impulsively to life without regard for God and his precepts? We want that gone. Like that's not an effort-filled life that, that is Im- impulsively responding without regard for God's precepts. That's relatable reality. And it's like, well, I don't overcome that by trying to stop responding impulsively to the sinful nature or the sinful desire. I overcome this by becoming so habitually focused on his spirit that when, 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 that piece, when the opportunities come, it's like, I'm not having that. I got a one thing life. I have a one thing life, Jesus Christ. Jesus over everything, you know? Anyways, so I'm just reading this. For the sinful nature has its desire, which is opposed to the spirit. And the desire of the spirit opposes the sinful nature. For these two, the sinful nature and the spirit are in direct opposition to each other, continually in conflict, so that you as believers do not always do whatever good things you want to do. But if you are guided and led by the Spirit, you're not subject to the law. You know, we are those who are seeking to be subject to the Spirit. We find ourselves in this conflict of, of a, a life of duplicity where I do what I don't want to do, and, and I, I, there is a good that I want to do, and I don't do it. It's like, why am I not doing it? Why am I not better? Why have I not overcome these things? Why am I still distracted? Why am I still absent of presence? It's like, well, well, don't focus on overcoming all of those things. Find a habit of fixing your eyes on the Spirit of God and letting Him accomplish in our lives what only He can. You know, Colossians chapter 3, verse 2 to 4 says, Set your mind and keep focused habitually on things above, the heavenly things, not on things that are on the earth, which have only temporal value. For you died to this world and your new real life is hidden with Christ in God. I mean, that's an invitation. It's getting hot in here. It's, if, I'm not, I'm not, that's not, I'm singing, I'm not singing a song. <laughs> Can we turn the air con on? Is there, is it? Oh man, it's getting hot. It's warm over here at least. I've seen droopy eyes over this side, these fellas. I don't know if it's the, I don't know if it's the, uh, no, I'm just joking. It's mostly Glenn. He falls asleep pretty easily, so I was having a brother's back. You know, I think what we're asking here is what's ruling in our lives? What's the controlling factor? What's controlling my life? What's ruling in my life? What's controlling in my life? What, what is it? And that's a fight. It's a fight for, for the force of life which rules in me. And that's my choice. I get to give this life to what I choose. What is the controlling factor of my life? Colossians chapter 3, 15 to 17 says, Let the peace of Christ, the inner calm of one who walks daily with him, be the controlling factor in your hearts 
deciding and settling questions that arise. To this peace, indeed, you are called as members of one body of believers and be thankful to God always. Let the spoken word of Christ have its home within you, dwelling in your heart and mind and permeating every aspect of your being as you teach spiritual things and admonish and train one another with all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do, no matter what it is, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus and in dependence on him, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is an invitation to a whole life for Christ. Let this be your life that you would sing praise to God, that you would admonish one another, that you would exchange truth, that you'd go, hey, what's happening? You're losing your passion for Jesus. What's going on in your world? Hey, Things are in your life that don't seem like the man or the woman who's fully going after the things of the Spirit of God. Let's get into this journey together. Let's let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts and be the controlling factor in deciding, the settling the questions, and, and, and let this lifestyle emerge from a life that's totally focused on him that wells up something among us. You know, I think I is so simple and basic and repetitive in some senses these ideas, but, you know, I think we're settling for something less. You know, we're allowing the mundaneness and the rhythms of life or the demands that are put upon us or the objectives that have been handed to us, the ought to's, the shoulds, the, the, the agendas of the world or the ways of those around us, whatever the case might be, it's like we're allowing things to captivate our lives that have nothing to do with union with the Spirit of God. And if we want to be in Christ. Those who are in Christ have a heart that is set, dedicated, set apart, focused on him. Now, will we stumble? Of course, this isn't a perfection message. This is a passion message. This is a passion message. Is the passion of your life that the love of God would rule in your heart, would that your life would flow the things of his spirit, that the entire existence upon which you live would be caught up in his story. That's, that's the truth of this. It's not a perfection message. It's a progression message that we are all in on a God who is performing and accomplishing in our lives something beyond what we could ask or imagine. And he's not finished, but it's my one thing. I've set my heart on this. I've set my mind on this. My whole life, I'm all in on this one thing. That nothing in my life would flow from anything but the Spirit of God. That would be my heart's desire. And I'm fighting for it. And I'm protecting it. And that is the thing in which has led me to a war. Is that there's something I will refuse to allow to be taken from me. That this life would be his and I would be caught in him. We must have a resolve for that. Because the enemy's good at his job, unfortunately. You know, like he's effective. Like he promises life in places where there is none. But, and if I am not resolved on holding on to Christ, I'll find him in the, in the distance and I'll find myself living in a place where the light that I think I have is actually darkness a place devoid of the spirit of God and a heart set upon him. Let's not be those people. Let's not allow the trickery of frivolous things to slip us away. 
It is a fight to hold on to a heart that is set upon Christ and living habitually in his spirit. All right. It's, it's, it's so basic and straightforward. I'm, I'm sorry. Like, it would be so awesome if there was some profound, mature, beyond message that was transforming our lives here. But this is basic. This is fundamental to the starting point of our faith. And I feel like we still, I still need a reset. There's no half-hearted in Christ. This is an all-in, habitually focused on the Spirit of God call, or it's not him. Jesus showed that the whole way through, the whole way through. He wants the completeness of your pursuit. A heart set apart, habitually focused on his spirit. It's like that is our greatest protection. It is our greatest protection. All right, let's jump into fours, fives, fours. I know we end up in big groups. Fours. Let's jump into some fours and talk about this life of being habitually focused on his spirit. What does it produce? What do we receive from it? What does it take? What does it look like? Why is it so hard? Let's chew on this for a minute and go, you know, what does it look like to really take hold of this habitual focus of a life in his spirit? Let's, let's make it practical. Make it real. What's working for you? What is working for you in this space? Or where is it not working? And you need to go, I don't know how to get a hold of this. Like, let's, let's nut this out in our groups and go, you know, a life habitually focused on his spirit. What's, what gets us there? Or push back on some of these ideas. Oh, I think you can half-heartedly follow Jesus. Let's make a case for it. Make it, I'll, I'll be in that group. I'll be in that group. Come on. Let's have it. Let's have it. I'm in. All right, let's jump into some fours, have a chat about this. And, let's, and be encouraged. This is life. This is not a con- condemning message, please. There's, there's no whoosh in this. This is, this is love. <laughs> 